Hello and welcome to Talking Capital. I'm Ian Barnard, CEO of CapGen, and I'm here with our Chief Investment Officer, Robert Sears, to answer three questions that have been posed to us by our clients and friends in recent weeks. For those who don't know us already, CapGen is a private investment office for families with capital. We are Go Anywhere Investors, so in the course of these episodes, you can expect us to cover any question across any asset class in any region of the world from bricks and mortar to portfolio derivatives. In summary, this is a podcast where we answer the questions playing on the minds of sophisticated long-term investors. Do subscribe if that sounds up your street and you'll enjoy two episodes a month of Talking Capital. So today we're going to zero in on a topic that's really been front and centre in a number of client conversations we've had recently, and that is ESG. Uh, also, responsible investing, sustainable investing has many names, and and it extends more than just to our client conversations. It's clearly uh, a topic that is on everyone's lips, and and has become in its own way very controversial. We've seen in the US how and it's been added to the list of things that polarises. Uh, blue and red states. Anyway, uh, I think what we want to achieve here is to unpick the major issues that the industry is grappling with in this ESG transition and to give our perspective on how we think things are currently progressing. Why now? A couple of reasons, really. One is, as I said, this is a live conversation. We're having a lot at the moment. It's always been there. Uh, The volume and frequency has just been turned up. Uh, And two is that while uh, a while ago in our first ever responsible capital report uh, we said that the real test of ESG's sticking power as, as as an idea as a distinguishing mark for a way of investing and how central and uh, sustainable uh, that will be in the industry is how it would perform and how it would be viewed in a more difficult market environment because a penetrating critic would say uh, that the ESG revolution and the talk about it coincided with the most extraordinary bull market. And here we are in a market that, well, it's currently showing some bullish or bear market rally tendencies, depending on on who you are. But it's clearly a market that is much more complex and much more volatile than many uh, will have seen. So I think this is a good time to come back in a focused way to this topic and think about where we are and and how we feel. So perhaps, Robert, to start with, if I might, could you uh, give us a refresher on where you think our industry is when it comes to the, the green transition we have seen a boom from the product side, and that's been met by something of a of a crackdown. Maybe crackdown is too strong, but uh, but regulators and others encouraging us to distinguish real uh, sustainable investing from from greenwashing. So I wonder if you could talk about Rob, where you think this is settling and how we, as capital allocators, take part in this. So what is our role in this green transition? Where should we, as very high-level global asset allocators, exercise the power and responsibility that we have? Well, I think there are a number of uh, trends that we can sort of unpick. I think the, the, on the positive side, if we start with uh, w- where we stand... I think when we look at the UNPRI, that actually gives us quite a good signal of what's what's been going on in the market. And one could say, really, ESG investing has gone mainstream. So it's gone from being the sort of niche 
uh, area that people, you know, on the side, was it a bit specialised? Just something really which should be at the core of most investors' toolkits. So when we look back, uh, 2006, UMPRI uh, sort of kicked off the signatories to that organisation, which really is the bellwether for uh, responsible investing and, and thinking about how to think about ESG within your investment process. And really, from quite a low base, the collective AUM now of the it's more than three thousand eight hundred signatories, uh, and it's gone up to to over uh, sort of one hundred twenty one trillion uh, as of the end of the first quarter of, of twenty twenty one. So that's a massive, more than tenfold increase over the ten years or so for ten fifteen years. So really, and it's been a straight line growth. So the industry is taking on board. So from being on the mainstream, ESG considerations, from being a sort of niche area, they've moved to the mainstream. It's something that everybody's thinking about and considering. So that's, that's, I suppose, the first bit of good news. I think there have been some more shorter term forces which have, have worked against that, really. And it's part of the success of people thinking and talking about ESG and also some of the cyclical concerns. So I think the first, really, if we, if we take it in turn, is on performance. So the, the good news in that 10-year, uh, 15-year period, pretty much there'd been extra capital flowing into companies connected particularly towards uh, energy transition, but sort of growth equities and renewable equities, clean tech. I'd seen a lot of that sort of flow of liquidity in the markets. And that meant that you were able to say we're, we're sort of increasing our ESG weighting and also performances be good. Last year, the last couple of years, has been where you felt um, some of the pain may be associated with it. It isn't necessarily a free lunch. So whilst any long-term investor, we certainly believe to be a successful long-term investor, you have to have a sustainable process. You have to be a good steward of of client capital and thinking about not just short-term returns, but how do you compound long-term returns? And for that, returns have to be sustainable. So it, it is a key consideration that has been for many years. But the problem is there are periods where some of the, the sector skews in particular actually don't pay off. So one example being, uh, really, if we, we go back to the Ukraine war, also it's coinciding with a period of risk off in markets, so liquidity coming out of markets, interest rates going up. That meant some of those stocks in particular that have been bid up the most by liquidity, which included some of the ESG-heavy areas or areas to do with clean tech, renewable tech. Companies suffered from both interest rates going up, but also multiples contracting a bit as liquidity came out of the market. And at the same time, some of the unloved sectors, the more dirty sectors like energy, did pretty well in the uh, certainly the first period of that post-Ukraine invasion increase in commodity prices. So I suppose short-term performance considerations led, led some investors to question uh, about what priorities really uh, is priority to make money is the priority we're thinking about defense how does defense play into ESG so it certainly opened up some considerations but I think the, the key part to it is really why is ESG a central part of what you uh, investor should consider is these are factors that do have financial impact on client portfolios. We're talking about some long-term trends, which are clearly going to have impact uh, if we take climate change as an example. Not only could there be real uh, impact in linked to changes in the climate in terms of assets which are going to lose value directly from physical harm, but also then second order from 
changes in consumer attitudes towards uh, certain activities, whether they're highly polluting activities or not, regulatory change. So there is going to be real financial impact, both on the risk side, but also massive investment opportunities linked to a big transition. Uh, The energy transition is one of the big key investment drivers of the next 20 years, certainly as economies change from being carbon heavy to uh, more renewable heavy investment sources. So it's a big investment opportunity. But these issues, whilst they can have financial impact, they are really intangible issues. And this is also, I suppose, linked to they're not sort of different in a way and separate to other analysis investors should be doing. A good investor should be considering other factors outside just looking at balance sheets. There is a lot of qualitative assessment that investors do anyway about culture of businesses, about the quality of management, about intangible capital, about brand management, about culture. So this type of analysis isn't new, isn't foreign. It should be part of the mainstream. So whilst it's important, it isn't the only thing. And it is important to try and look between considering what could be a values-based judgment. So investors wanting to have their own investments, their portfolios tying up with their, their own personal values. And there's some things you don't want to invest in or want to invest in compared to ESG integration, considering issues that really are big issues that do impact financial returns across all portfolios. And I think that brings me to the next sort of question. So that that intangible, the fact it's an intangible asset, it's hard to analyze, again, maybe makes things like short-term performance. Sometimes some of the decisions can have negative financial impact. Sometimes they can have positive impact. They work at different points in time in the cycle. So short-term performance uh, related to the commodity cycle or related to a war doesn't sort of negate some of those long-term trends. And equally, being an ESG-oriented investor means you're considering the issues, both risks and opportunities. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to exclude things. So an energy company, if you engage with it to try and uh, improve their process and and reduce their carbon emissions, actually can be a very ESG friendly uh, investment with the right activist approach. So again, it's not a black and white issue, but that does that's why we, we, uh, the industry is sort of grappling with it. And it brings us to the second real topic of consideration. One of the issues that people have felt is really, unfortunately, it's become a politically polarised term, certainly in the US, less so the rest of the world. And that really is unfortunate, because as we're saying, ESG really to succeed and what it should be, it should be a mainstream issues that all investors are considering. And it isn't about enforcing personal preferences and, and, and achieving political agenda via investment. And that's where, where the, the danger is, it, it becomes polarised. And in the US, we've seen that. So it's become a Republican-Democrat issue. We're seeing high-profile politicians such as Ron DeSantis on the Republican side effectively trying to ban ESG within Florida and also Republicans uh, are trying to sort of introduce legislation. And indeed, it's the first issue that Joe Biden has uh, had to produce a veto to try and stop some of that legislation to prevent pension funds from considering ESG concerns. Some of the blue states are are pushing the agenda and some of the red states are, are, are selling managers who they believe have have enforced ESG too much. But that that's the issue is it shouldn't be a political agenda. It isn't about sort of being linked to identity. And that's a real issue. So that's something that we're, we're grappling with. And that links us to both those first two points, really, about performance, about political polarisation. And the third point, really, is about the greenwashing 
maybe too many of the products, too many managers were just putting an ESG badge on something and it, there wasn't real substance and investors are starting to realize it. And the, the combination of those three factors has seen, although we've seen that, that big increase in signatories, people who care about ESG, in the last year or so, I think some of the data quoted on CNN from Lippa showed that AUM of ESG funds had fallen by about $163 billion over over the um, year period from the first quarter of 2022. So there's been a bit of a pushback in the last year, but I think it is set against this, this broader trend and the, really the, the, the idea that ESG is becoming mainstream, which I think is and should be central to, to what investors are considering. So I think that's some of the negatives, some of the positive. The two further points I just wanted to, to, to mention, which I think are worth uh, talking about, on the sort of investment case, the big change of, of late, I suppose, is the Inflation Reduction Act, which, as we've discussed on on one of these uh, calls in in the past, preceding the the podcast, really is not about inflation. But what it was about is is a big boost to the renewable energy industry within the U.S. So that's a big deal. The energy transition is clearly moving at a pace, and linked to that, investors perhaps, although they pulled some money out of badged funds within public equities, I think there's been a big interest within the private sphere. So there's been a lot of capital raising for climate transition funds in in the private space and impact investing. So whilst some of the trends are against it, actually in the private markets, it's been growing quite heavily. So I think overall, we've seen that sort of mixture of long-term growth, some short-term headwinds, but it remains amongst one of the top investment trends. Certainly, all investors should, within their toolkit, be considering lots of issues, including ESG issues, and have an integrated process, notwithstanding the, the need to generate financial returns, but uh, and separating out the difference between what's suitable for all investors and sort of being a responsible, sustainable investor, and where other investors want to either have impact, so uh, sacrificing some financial return to generate uh, impact that they can measure, or where investors want to show their own uh, values within their investment portfolio, so where portfolios are tailored. So I think those are some of the key key trends that we're seeing within ESG investing. And maybe, Robert, uh, can we just, just turn to, okay, so what exactly are, are we doing and how, how do we think about the role that we should play because you know as we know investors in different exist at different levels there are clear there are managers in businesses running companies taking decisions and then there are stock pickers and then there are the the, the asset allocators into which category more or less I, I would put us and I mean I guess we've been doing this for a while and we take it very very seriously and I suppose there are two words that I particularly associate with what we're doing which is measuring and engaging but perhaps you could talk a little bit Robert about how we think about this and what we're doing yeah so I think on the the first point that we talked about before about really needing a process where you're integrated, that's something we have done and runs throughout all our client portfolios. So we we fully integrated considering ESG factors, whether it is in part of our asset allocation, thinking about long-term themes. And one of the long-term themes that we try and uh, reflect at the moment is sustainability and energy transition through to manager selection decisions. And we have a whole scoring system to evaluate how the managers are going about ESG considerations in terms of integrating their process, the policy that they have, what resources they're putting to bear, and the portfolio that they're they're putting forward. So, uh, and that's an ongoing process. So, having that 
baseline that applies across all portfolios is necessary to reduce risk and to try and take advantage of some of these long-term themes. Added to that, when we have uh, bespoke portfolios that we tailor for clients, there we can fully reflect what the clients are after, as we have done in other areas for many years. So that's where you really can, can tailor the exact exposure that clients are after to meet their values and the issues that matter more to them. And I think having that ability to tailor and create these bespoke portfolios is really important, actually, if you if you are going to create portfolios that really tie in with individual values. So I think that's that's what we're doing on the investment side. But what can we actually do to affect change? I think on those two areas you talked about, I think number one, public side, I think activist strategies are really important. So that's where the the, the manager that we select, third-party manager, we're evaluating their process, but it's also we're evaluating their ability to affect change where it can make material value-enhancing change for companies. So activists within public equity are really crucial. Uh, And we've approached that from a number of different ways, but we've got a sort of more interest in activist, event-driven managers who are taking the issue seriously, again, with a diversity of approaches and also where they're at the bottom line, it is actually not only improving the impact of companies, but actually improving the performance of those companies. So having activist managers is important. And on the second point about engagement, the engagement we can do as a firm is engaging with our ecosystem, collaborating and engaging with those, with those managers to improve their process and work with them to try and share best practice than what we see across the industry and where they specifically, we believe, we can add something to help them improve their process. And we have an annual engagement process as part of our ongoing dialogue with managers where we're talking about how we score them across those different criteria, how we think they might improve, sharing best practices and learnings from, from other managers. One of the engagements we had in previous years was actually trying to encourage managers to sign up to the UMPRI. This year, to your point about measuring, I think I would say uh, it's really to try and share best practices on reporting. So different managers in different areas, different levels of, of reporting that we really do need to have more information on reporting for managers so we can fully understand what's going on and we can help them to improve. So I think that's a big focus this year. The only caveat I would say, again, linking it back to intangibility of, of some of these issues, we shouldn't be worried about things that we can measure and things we can't measure. So getting more data on those that we can measure is is good. And there's plenty of areas like production of carbon, which you can get good data sets. uh, And that's great and useful. But there are other things which matter, but you can't count. And focusing too much attention on only those few metrics which are easily measurable can you can lose some of the materiality and that's why it's important we should have the flexibility to work on qualitative issues as well and in the same way i think the good analogy would be perhaps thinking of the difference between getting a credit rating and thinking of equity managers managing or, or providing research on, on companies on the credit side you're thinking a lot about the downside it's a lot about factual evidence on the balance sheet and it's less about opinion on the equity side a lot of those qualitative factors uh, you're thinking about the future and there's big difference in assumptions and different analysts can produce very different research. And that, that's not a bad thing. That Equally on ESG, there can be different ratings for companies if we're considering some of these qualitative issues. It's not a problem. It's actually part of, of the feature, part of the analysis that's necessary, which I think is, is why, yes, get more data, but equally it's important about evaluating who's going to be doing that managing, who's going to be active, both on engagement, but in terms of also thinking about some of these issues with portfolios. So it's it's why also having a good amount of active management within portfolios is, 
is quite important. If we unpick the E and the S and the G, we talk, uh, have talked about, and I guess internally we talk a lot about the E because I guess because it's existential, we, we know we need to, to fix it. It is about very, very material allocations of capital and change in economic activity and economic processes. And there will be winners and there will be losers and there will be stranded assets. The G bit, well, the G bit in some ways has been around. I, I you know, in my career, I think how some of the financial scandals of the 1980s led to, you know, commissions and working parties to improve corporate governance. So G is a quite long standing, and I guess is always, a, you know, always on investors' List and there are some, you know, well-established third-party bodies that will, you know, guide shareholders on how how to respond to how managers behave. But I wanted to turn a bit to the S because, I mean, in some ways, sort of corporate social responsibility, CSR prefigured ESG, and and perhaps it was and evolved into being. ESG, perhaps because the E became ever larger. But the S bit's been around for a while, but it's quite hard and tricky, isn't it? And quite intangible. And, and I guess for companies is very challenging when you're trying to measure and engage and improve and change what's happening in, you know, even if we're deglobalizing, we still have very long running and global supply chains. So I wonder if you could talk, Robert, about the, the S side of things and and, and how we should think about it and what it is that sort of we can do. I mean, big we, we all of us, but then small uh, w, we, as in, you know, how we as a firm are able to take steps in that regard. Yeah, so I, I think on the, the data availability, it's definitely the case that there's been less data within the S compared to the E and the G. It's the one that uh, people are less familiar with. So I think that's certainly certainly is true. When we think about the two two ways of thinking about it, one, if we're thinking about some of the big picture trends which are going to move portfolios and impact us, the big demographic and social change that's going on is actually at the heart of a lot of the investment themes that we think about. So it really is important for investors. One only needs to think about uh, some of the trends we have on our, our sort of top 10 trends to look at. Urbanisation, thinking about ageing populations and the, the change in, in demographics. Turning to the increased perhaps free time and leisure that people will have and increasing wealth within the emerging world and how that's spent in terms of leisure and uh, more time off from work. So all these changes and, and then work from home is another classic example where that really has fundamentally changed the real estate world, uh, certainly within office space, but even at residential exposure where people can live coming out of COVID. So the, these are really Big trends that are really crucial, important, and affect portfolios. And linked to what I said just now about COVID, COVID really was a wake-up call for many in, in the space that actually the S part often is at the heart of some of the issues that companies face. So if we're thinking about companies in the press, and this can have real impact on the financial bottom line, is what can turn off consumers, what can turn off your, your clients and lead to pressure from governments is often within the, the S realm and turning to COVID, how people responded to furlough workers or not, thinking about issues within the, the supply chain. Uh, so there are plenty of issues that do pop up and are where risk can occur for companies. But in terms of the broad swathe, I think, again, it breaks down to, yes, there's some more data people are getting uh, on issues like diversity and inclusion. And those are statistics that everybody can produce and are useful to a certain degree. And they can be linked and shown to diversity of, of your uh, employees can lead to better decisions being made within companies, which again, affects the bottom line. So it can be tied to uh, financial outcomes. 
But I think we need to think a bit more broadly. And a lot of them are uh, more mushy areas, area, more qualitative areas that you can't necessarily produce data for, but are equally important. So within the whole uh, or a few of the areas, if we think about workers and, and employment, engagement, training, all these issues, having a happy workforce has been shown to be in, tied very closely actually to company performance in the long run. So, But the analysis of culture is not just going to be broken down to uh, a few metrics. But it, it is important. Engagement surveys of employees are some of the tools that, that investors could be using. But you think about keeping your workforce happy within the S, but equally customers, uh, customer loyalty and the practices, thinking about safety of product, again, crucially important areas companies should and have been thinking about for many years. And in the modern world, it's not just safety of physical product, but thinking about data safety, awareness of, of security breaches, again, in the last few years has been coming to the front of the agenda for many companies and can be crippling in the extreme and lead to dramatic financial loss. So although some of those areas, like what's the quality of the data security, how is data used within a company, are pretty hard to be broken down to some of the data on questionnaires. But this is part of the job of an active equity analyst when thinking about sort of evaluating corporate equity. I think it is a mixed bag. There is more pressure, more analysis that's going on. But this is linking back to that first point I made about we we don't want to polarise and politicise the issue. It's something that all investors should be thinking about and doing. And it's not about advancing a political agenda by the back door. It's about thinking about which of these factors are material. And not all social issues will be material for all companies. And that's part of the reason why the uh, materiality mapping that we've seen from many of the big organisations are really pretty important to help analysts focus down on what's important for a particular sector or a particular company. But it is where judgment is important, finding which issues are important, honing in on how well companies are doing that from both data you can get and improving and increasing the quality of the supply, but it's also from the qualitative assessment of companies, from speaking to managers, speaking to the supply chain, speaking to uh, consumers, customers, speaking to competitors. So again, it, it, it's a harder issue to boil down into one, one data set, unfortunately, but often that type of analysis is where you can actually get differentiated information and differentiated uh, sort of outcomes. So it is a moment where more effort should be expanded on increasing uh, sort of thought within that area, but not at the um, sacrificing other areas. So we need to, again, be proportional. ESG social issues are crucially important. They can improve the whole system. But it doesn't mean you ignore where you have bad quality managers uh, who are making bad decisions with companies, who have the wrong strategy, who have the wrong engagement uh, with employees. So a lot of these issues that are not necessarily captured by ESG are as important, more important. So it, it, it's important actually about elevating ESG to being something, it's part of the toolkit of all investors. It's something we should all be considering, but done in proportion at all times. And that way, actually, we get the most impact of the system. That's where you raise the quality of the system in all these areas. Uh, and recognizing equally, it's not just investors who are who are part of the solution. It, it is about government policy and regulation and engagement by uh, consumers and other members of society. So investors should play their part, but it, it's by making ESG mainstream that we get the biggest uh, impact and the biggest change and the biggest financial impact for our investors. Yes, I think in a way all this is very healthy. We're having a, a global debate about how it is we organise ourselves to respond to the, the challenges that lie ahead, challenges that are you know existentially threatening 
thing, which is the environment and I suppose some of the social elements, but also there's a very positive things in the S about, you know, helping make lives better for those who weren't born born so lucky. So I think, you know, we're having a having a debate about how it is we, we, we best organize ourselves. And, and I think my reflection on all of this is, you know, we feel very passionate about all of these and doing the right thing and being purposeful and being part of the change that we that we need to we need to make to give our kids and ourselves a better world and, a, and an exciting and prosperous future. But the key thing, and I think this is what we're doing, is we have to, as you know, as business folks and investors, we have to turn this into measurable and actionable and well thought through and systematic change. And I very much hope that we are part of that and our disciplined and integrated approach uh, is part of doing that. Anyway, time's up. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, if you did enjoy today's discussion, please rate, review uh, or subscribe to the podcast. Um, Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you.